my name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and uh, really delighted to be with you this fine morning. We are in this series called Songs in the Key of Life. And uh, we get to think back of songs and the way that music uh, taps into our heart and our soul. And uh, I love music. I love singing. And uh, in fact, uh, this Christmas, uh, we bought a karaoke machine for our family because you know what they say, the family that sings together stays together. Am I right? You don't, you don't seem sound convinced. Are there any karaoke people in here? Okay, I know. Well, it's a hidden thing. If you're not a karaoke person, it's kind of weird. But if you're a karaoke person, there are a few things that bring more joy than when you find a song that taps into other people's hearts and then you just sing together. And so what I thought we would do is we would have a little karaoke time. How's that sound? So there's a song that is actually, it's an old song. It's so old. It was written before I was even born. So in the early 70s, Billy Joel wrote this incredible song called Piano Man, and uh, it's a crowd pleaser. I know, because I sing it every time I can karaoke. This is my go-to song, so I thought we'd sing it together. All right, but you got to join with me because I'm a little tone deaf, okay? It helps if you sway, I found this one. All right, I mean, it's nine in the morning. Who wants to do karaoke? You guys, that was like a solid C plus, maybe. Um, That's okay, always room for improvement. You know what's incredible is that song, 1973, over 45 years ago, and um, in his beautiful, weird piano. But I chose it because I thought what's so interesting about this song is it sings about a very core longing, right? It's all these people in a bar in New York City who are working all day, isolated all by themselves, just grinding it out. And uh, most people who go to the city to try to make it big, right, they've said goodbye to their family, said goodbye to their friends, and they go and they just gut it out to make something of themselves. Well, then in the evening, right, they come and they gather around a bar and uh, they're trying to find some hope, some, some comfort um, in this lonely world, right? And then they sing, Piano Man, you know, give us this thing so we can just have this moment and to remember that we're together. And what's wild is, right, this song, and you can imagine all these different people sitting around the bar and really all they're, they're doing is they're leaning into this echo, right? This echo of community, this echo of hope, this echo of comfort as they sing and sing uh, the song together. And so what I want to talk about this morning, and, and we'll get to in a second, is this idea that we just live in a lonely, lonely, lonely world. I came across this article in Forbes, and it says that millennials and the loneliness ec- epidemic. Any millennials in here? All right. Come on, you guys. Proud. Okay. But don't worry, it's not just millennials. So that's on the internet. I got this AARP magazine. Any, where, any AARP members in here? I know. It's okay. Us Gen Xers, we're like in the middle. But listen to this. Is, is there a cure for loneliness? And, uh, and so millennials, AARP, no one cares about the Gen Xers. We're like the middle children. But we are lonely too. And all these studies are basically saying over 50% of Americans right now wrestle with loneliness that we're isolated, that we're alone, that there's been this big narrative that we used to understand that we had purpose and meaning and community, and um, it's all been wiped away. What's wild is, think about it, we have been atomized. And what that means is we used to have a place in our family, in our community, in a story, in the world. And as the story gets smaller and smaller and smaller, we are now the core of our stories. We're these tiny atomized people. And then the worst part is, is the way that we interact with other atomized people is we treat others as objects. 
as commodities. And you know this is the case because everybody has some sort of side hustle. Raise your hand just a little like this if you have a side hustle. A couple of you guys, right? Everybody is always trying to leverage their relationships and leverage their conversations for their own things. Even how we do social media, right? We broadcast our opinions and we're not very good listeners, we're just broadcasters. So we've atomized, we've monetized everything, we've objectified everybody. And on top of that, we've become totally, totally addicted to dopamine, right? Because if we can't handle like real life people, we need something to feel good. And so we like find ways to get dopamine working on our brains and we try to live our lives. But if we are honest, loneliness is this thing. And so what I wanted to talk about, what I want to recognize is that there's this core longing. And the core longing is this, that I think everybody wants to find comfort in a lonely and broken world. And there may be seasons where you're like, I don't feel very lonely, and seasons where you don't feel very broken. But if that's for you right now, praise God, the chances are the person next to you, to the right or to the left, is definitely experiencing that. And there's definitely been serious seasons where we've experienced it. And we in the world, the whole world, is trying to find ways to find comfort, to rest, to be seen, to be part of a bigger story, to know that they're valuable, to know that they're loved, to know that you have a place that matters. And in the lacking of all that, we, we just will grasp on to anything. So the scripture that I want to look at this morning is Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin in chapter, verse 13. All right. Sorry, we're beginning in verse 15. Um, so Jeff mentioned this verse a couple weeks ago when he began, and he focused on the last passage of Scripture. And we're going to look at the very front end of this as we march through our sermon this morning. But it begins like this. Be very careful then how you will live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I love this call that Paul gives. It says he encourages us to be wise in how we live because how we live determines how we actually function in the world, how we function in our in, um, in our walk with God, how we function in our relationship with one another. We have to be wise in how we function and how we work. And he gives us this, uh, this directive right at verse 18. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I wanted to talk about this morning is to not get drunk with wine. Yeah! <laughs> yeah I know. All right, but before we do, because I think being drunk with wine is one of the core ways. Right? If, we, if, our, if our core longing is to find comfort in a lonely and broken world, let's be honest, wine is one of the great comforts. Don't say amen, but wine <laughs> is a great comfort. So here we have this problem. We look at this passage of scripture, chapter 5, verse 18. It says, do not get drunk with wine. So I have this question. It's a question that every high school kid I've ever talked with wants to recognize. Um, every high school kid I've ever dealt with asks is, well, what counts as being drunk? Where is the line? And here's the question. Are all things permissible? 
Are all things permissible? Did you know in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says this. This is like every parent's nightmare verse right here. It says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive, that no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. But there is this challenge, right? Are all things permissible? What in our walk with God is okay and is not okay? And Paul says right out, do not get drunk with wine. And uh, before we talk about what I really want to talk about, let's just talk about sin for one quick message, moment, okay? So sin is this thing that separates us from God. It separates us from one another. And it looks a bunch of different ways. There's like the rebellion sin. Do not get drunk with wine. Well, then I'm going home and I'm getting drunk with wine. That's a bit much. But you've seen like, don't walk on the lawn. I'm going to walk on the lawn, right? There's something like, do not do this. There's something in you that's like, I am going to do this, okay? So that's part of sin. There's, there's this rebellion part of it. The part of sin is this pride. It's like, man, I, in the center of my universe, I know what I want, I know what I, I need, and I'm going to do whatever I want. So whatever I want is how I'm going to live my life, and if I steamroll you, then that's okay. That's another part of sin, right? Some part of sin is just satisfying our flesh. And part of what Paul says here is do not get drunk with wine because it leads to debauchery, right? There's this way that we just, we just want to feel good. We want to feel pleasure. There's this hedonistic tendency that we just want to do things that satisfy our flesh, right? Those are, that's sin, right? All that stuff is messed up and wrong. But thankfully, that's not what our message is today. So if you're like, Phew, okay, that's part of sin. But the part of sin that I want to talk about is this last part of sin, and there is part of our sin nature, this part of sin that is a way that we cope with dealing with a broken and lonely world. We all have families of origins that are weird and dysfunctional. There's ways that we've been broken and broken by people in the world and our DNA, right? And there's ways in which we cope. There's ways in which we want to feel better. And, and the bummer is most of the ways that we do that, we don't even know that we're doing it, right? You start going to therapy and your therapist starts like unpacking things You're like, oh my goodness, I've been living like that my whole life. I had no idea that that was wrong. I had no idea that that was crushing other people. And there's parts of sin that actually, that, that lead, that we're really just coping. We're trying to feel better, but in the process, we're doing the same damage as if we're just shaking our fist at God. So whether we're shaking our fist at God or we're just trying to find comfort in this lonely and broken world, we're still doing damage to our souls we're doing damage to our walk with God, and we're doing damage with one another. And so, um, I'm gonna and so what we want to do is we want to think about how in the world do we live. And what's interesting is when I feel like when I was younger, um, sin was like looked like um, doing naughty things with naughty people. That was kind of how I thought about sin. That's how my parents, you know, that, that's how they punished me, right? Don't be with the bad people doing the bad things. And um, what's wild is is we become more and more lonely. We actually are hanging out with less and less bad people doing less and less bad things. In fact, all the studies are showing all these young people, they're doing, they're, they're doing all the dangerous stuff way less than when you guys were kids. So just relax, parents, okay? But the problem is they're not, they're not doing that because they're noble people. They're doing that because they're lonely and they're isolated and they don't know how to have real relationship with one another. And so what's wild is when we think about the kind of sin of coping, it's not about being with people. It's really about what we're doing to our brains, about separating ourselves from each other and finding ways to basically get these dopamine highs as much as possible so that we can feel better about ourselves and about the world around us. So I'm going to talk about three things. These are kind of dangerous things. That's why I'm a little nervous. Um, but then I'm going to go on vacation, and so that'll be the end of it. Um, but I want to ask you, how do you cope? And here's the big three. Pornography, pot, and phones. That's why I'm a little nervous. 
And so listen, just really quickly, this isn't a sermon to, to put the next to you and go, listen, finally Ben's talking about this thing that, that I know that you're struggling with. That's not how we talk about it, right? A, we're not talking about rebellion sin, we're talking about coping sin. This kind of sin, man, this should be all about empathy and grace and mercy. And every time we talk about sin, it's not about the sin to the person next to you, it's about your sin, it's about your brokenness, it's about your issues. We're all on individual paths in our walk with Christ, which means we're all unpacking our weird, broken chaos in different ways and at different times. So this is not about the person next to you, this is about you. And what's interesting about these three things is for some reason our culture has said these three things are totally acceptable, are totally normal, are totally just part of our, the way in which we function. Right? It, um, whether it's pornography, which used to be all just done in private, which is even more now done in private, which is now done on everyone's phones in private. Um, what's interesting is there's these studies out that says that people, young people, would rather watch pornography than have sex with real-life human beings. Right now, I'm like, just have sex with real-life human beings. That's like a step in the right direction, right? Because we long to be isolated. We long to be separated. And we, I mean, we don't long it. That's how we feel. And we want some way to feel normal. And there's something about pornography, right? It, it's like this ultimate dopamine rush. And it satisfies all of those desires in our brains, but we miss it all in the real world. And the same with pot, as that's become more and more legal, um, and recreation pot's legal, and especially it just seems like it's everywhere now. But what's wild is I just, uh, a, a young adult who used to be in our youth group, he came back for Christmas and we went and hung out together. And he's like, oh my goodness, I got to tell you what happened. The weirdest thing. Hold on. I'm so nervous. Um, you know, he, he had this job and he quit this job. And, and, and I, I was asking him like how he ended up quitting his job. He said, you know, I realized for this last year, I'd just been smoking pot every day and playing video games. And then all of a sudden I realized my my life is, has gotten so small. I moved away out of state to have this adventure, to be with my friends. And over the course of the year, because living in life is so hard, being with people is so hard, right? He just found a way to make all these small decisions and all these little coping mechanisms before he just, and now he just smokes pot and plays video games. He's like, this can't be it. And so he's like, I, he quit cold turkey. And like within three months, he's like, oh my goodness, I like really gave up on life and got a new job and moved home and started a whole different deal. But we see that all the time, right? We, we just want to fit in. We feel so anxious all the time. We don't know how to have any human interaction. And marijuana, right, is this thing that smooths over those things. And phones, you all have a phone on you right now, everybody. We touch our phones so often. We don't know how to be bored anymore. We don't know how to deal with awkwardness anymore. We don't know how to have conversations anymore because in the second something is quiet, the second I'm bored, the second there's a weird moment, I grab my phone and I go to a special place. I'm on the news, I play Flappy Bird, um, I check my social media. And then the worst part is, is we figured out ways, um, well, A, companies have figured out ways to get us our dopamine hits, right? So they, they give us news in ways that stimulates our brain too much. They create games that addict us too much. And, uh, we do, and then we buy into that with social media, hoping somebody likes what we have to say. Right? These are three things. I mean, this may, none of these may be your things. All three of these may be your things. But I wanted to bring these up because these are agreements that our cultures have, that our cultures have made. We've kind of said, listen, you're going to be lonely. You're going to be by yourself. You're going to have an awful life. But here's three things that you can do to feel good about yourself. And everybody who does these three things is involved in that. It does feel good. But anyone who's quit cold turkey for a minute on any one of these realizes there's a whole different world out there. I don't know if you've ever like stopped eating junk food for a while. I try in January to always stop eating junk food. And there's this weird thing, because in December I eat so much junk food, 
And I, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if you have a really good steak or you have a McDonald's hamburger, they kind of taste the same, right? You've kind of like messed up your taste buds. But when you actually like go, go cold turkey and you eat whole food and organic vegetables and like all this green, ripe, like great food, all of a sudden everything, like all your taste buds come alive. And I think the same thing is true with our brain. The way that God wants us to engage him and with each other, he wants all of our sensors to be alive. And yet we found all these ways to deaden them. So my question for you is how do you cope? So I picked those three big no-nos. Well, one's a big no-no for sure. Two is a big gray area. One, we all have phones. But that's the whole thing, right? It's this giant gray area. And the question is for you, what are you doing to cope? My assumption is that you are lonely, that you're struggling in your relationships with God, that your relationship with each other, your relationship with your spouse and your kids, that you've gotten so used to finding so many ways to be distracted that you, it's a hard thing to be in relationship with other people. And so what's your thing? Food, exercise, more food, wine, sleep, reading. We all have something. And what's wild is, and this is what's so brutal, I wish everything was just cut and dry like pornography. Just don't do it. But the truth is, most of everything that we engage in, it's a very small nuance, right? Whether something is sin and is causing hurt in our relationship with God and one another, or whether it is a thing that's just a normal thing, like food. And so what, my invitation for you, my, my, the thing I'd like you to just think about for a minute is what is that thing? And just put it in your hand for a second, in your mind. These are jewel beetles. And this is a wild story. In Australia, that's where jewel beetles live, scientists were noticing that the jewel, the jewel beetle population was getting less and less and less. And the reason is, is because in the 1980s, in Australia, they made beer bottles called stubbies. They're like these little short, little, like they look like the old school Coors bottles. You probably shouldn't know what those are, look like. But anyway, there's these short little bottles and they're, they're, they have bumps around the sides of them and they have this wide open mouth. Well, like Australia and everywhere else in the world, people littered and throw these bottles everywhere. But because they were brown and because they had these little bumps everywhere, the beetles thought that these were female beetles that wanted to have sex with them. And so these beetles would come across these beer bottles and be like, this is my lucky day. And they would go and they would have sex with these bottles. But not like just normal sex, like this is beetle sex. Like this is um, like animal kingdom, beetle sex. And they would have sex with them and there would be nothing they could do. Like they wouldn't go, this isn't working and they'd walk away. They were committed. In fact, they were committed to the point of death. So an Australian sun would, go, would, would bear down these beetles and they would die because they would be in the sun and in the heat. Or ants would come and start eating the beetles and eating them to death. And the beetles were like, get away from me, ant. I'm trying to have sex with this beer bottle. And, uh, and what happened was, like no joke, there was the, be the, the beetle population was actually getting less and less and less. And the beer company was like, once they realized that's the case, they changed uh, their beer bottle design and uh, the Beatles went back to like dating each other like normal Beatles did. <laughs> but what I think is so wild about this story is, gosh, isn't that what we do? We're human beings and we long for intimacy. We long for friendship. And yet we, 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 we accept some sort of counterfeit version of that. And we put all of our hope, all of our energy into this counterfeit version longing for intimacy, longing for friendship, longing for depth. 
And like the Beatles, we just do it to the point of death. The thing that we think is going to cause intimacy with us actually is a thing that wounds us completely. And I just, I've been thinking about this all week, A, because I'm like, should I even talk about the Beatles story? But the more I thought about it, I just think, isn't that exactly what we do? Whether it's pornography or whether it's pot, whether it's our phones, whether it's food, whether it's wine, whatever it is, we are putting all of our effort into this thing and we're missing it completely. So Paul says, do not be drunk on wine, right? There's a which is, uh, leads to debauchery. So there's rebellion in that, and there's, um, you know, there's pride in that, there's flesh in that, but there's also part of it that is a coping mechanism. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is why I love God. This is why I'm a Christian. This is why I decided to be a pastor. Is because all of humans, myself included, have this shadow side where I long to be connected I long to be seen. I long to be known. I long to be loved. It's funny, all human beings, even human beings who struggle with self-esteem issues and all those things, they know in the core of their being that's not right because in the core of their being, they know that they're valuable people. And the Christian story is this giant umbrella that actually satisfies that because all human beings are made in the image of God. There's not good people and bad people. There's not handsome people and smart people and ugly people and dumb people. No, all human beings have been marked we're made in the image of God. Every human being knows in the very core of their being that they are valuable people. And that's why when we live in this broken world, when sin happens to us, when brokenness happens to us, when we sin and have our brokenness spill onto other people, there's such a violation because we know that that's a violation of how God made us. And so we know that the God created the world to be good. We know that we're sinful and broken people. And we know in our own experiences that sin has caused death and destruction in our relationships with one another. We know that to be true as well. Everywhere on the earth, people are trying to figure out how to make sense of those two realities. But the Christian story is that God said, listen, I'm going to solve this problem for you. Humans have been trying forever and ever to make themselves better and they can't do it. So Jesus says, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to go to earth. I'm going to step in and I'm going to solve this sin problem. And because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, he wipes out our sin. He takes all of the sin, all of the rebellion, all of the brokenness, all of the dysfunctional ways in which we cope. He's took that all on him, and he's forgiven us totally. How incredible is that? And because we're forgiven people, right now we have this opportunity to be invited into the kingdom of God. So imagine this, God is this giant landowner with this giant home, with this house, with rooms for everybody. And he just says, listen, all, you are this dirty, broken, dirty, dirty, dirty person, right? And you just got to like get cleaned up before you come inside, but it's too dirty for you to come inside. And so he says, Jesus says, listen, I have a special bath for you to come. And that bath comes and washes away all of your sin. And you get to come into the household of God, but not as guests, as actually children, as daughters and sons of the king. And because you're actually daughters and sons, you actually have been given a marker. You've been given the Holy Spirit. So this Holy Spirit is this God is work. God is alive. God is moving in the world around us. And God also says, listen, when you become my children, when you accept me and say, I'm ready to follow you and submit to you, one of those things that God does is he gives us the Holy Spirit as a marker. And so now, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And now, because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, God longs to be part, have you partner with him to be about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. To be about justice, 
to be about mercy, to be about reconciliation. But those things are fruits of the Holy Spirit. They're not Christians trying to be good people, white knuckling, saying, if I can only do this, if I can only do this, if I can just stop doing that. It's recognized that the Holy Spirit is inside of you, alive and active. So don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means if you haven't become a Christian yet, then to give your life to Christ and accept the free gift of salvation in the Holy Spirit and accept that gift And then if you are a Christian, this is a hard one right here. This is a good memory verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, that means you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I don't know about you, but any of you guys like making fires. When I was young, I was a pyromaniac. I love making fires. I love burning things. And um, but what's interesting is to make a fire, it's it's a hard task. If you ever watched Survivor, it's not as easy as it looks. Well, the Holy Spirit is this fire that's happening inside of us. But whenever we sin, whether it's out of our straight rebellion or it's just out of our brokenness, um, we're basically just putting log after log, wet log after wet log on this fire. God is longing to build this thing inside of you. And yet we just keep throwing wet log and wet log and wet log on there. And so if we want to be the whole people that God longs for us to be, if we want to be whole and healed we want to actually have intimacy with God and with one another, then we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means, A, we have to become Christians. We have to say yes to Christ and accept God's gift of eternal life, accept the Holy Spirit, accept the marker. If you have been a Christian, it means you actually have to take away those wet logs. So the sin that God's convicting you on, that's yours, not the person next to you convicting you on, but the sin that God's convicting you on, whether it's out of rebellion or whether it's out of your own brokenness, and God's like, here's the next step. Right? This journey towards Christ is taking log after log after log off the fire as God graciously and with long-suffering walks with us. Now, we are in this series called Songs in the, in the Key of Life, and I love this because we're also looking how, how artists have, have talked about that, but also how scriptures and how Christian artists have talked about that. And in Psalm 42, I love the way that David says this. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. For when can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty ones. Verse 8, he goes on to say, By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I love this series, and I love Scripture, because it's easy to get lost in our loneliness, in our brokenness, in our anguish. And the Psalms are full of people who have been crying out, even in the most horrific situations, have been crying out, saying, God, I long for you to show up. And so one of the songs that, I, that we're going to do in the end of this service in just a minute is the song uh, Enough. It's an old Chris Tomlin song. Not as old as Billy Joel, but we're going to old songs today. And I love the lyrics of this song. It says this. So all of you is more than enough for me, for every thirst and every knee. You satisfy me with your love, and all I have in you is more than enough. You're my supply my breath of life. You're my reward. You're worth living for. You are more awesome than I know. 
And so what I wanted to do is, as I wrap up my time, I just wanted to spend a few moments in prayer. Because I think if we're honest, we are all finding inappropriate ways to cope. And not because we're bad people, but because we live in a broken and lonely world. But instead of finding comfort in all of these spilled out beer bottles that only lead to death, we've been invited by God, the Savior of the universe, to be the God to meet all of our needs, to meet all of our longings, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, and to be used by the Holy Spirit. So if you guys would close your eyes and let's, let's just spend a few minutes praying together. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, gosh, I had no idea how nervous I would be. Part of it is I just know my own brokenness, my own rebellion and my own sin. It is just ever in front of me. We long to be people who are living the full and authentic life, the abundant life that's promised by your son, Jesus. But we recognize that we can never even begin to be on that journey unless we actually are filled with your Holy Spirit. And so this morning, there may be people here who have never said yes to you, Jesus. They've been around the church for a long time. The smell and the fragrance of you and of God's people and being at church has been an attractive thing. They've been a guest in your household, but they've never said yes to you to be adopted in as a daughter and as a son. And so if there's anyone here this morning that's, that feels the, the weight and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you've been coping for too long, you've been saying yes to sin for too long, and you're tired of those destructive ways, and you want to accept God's gift of forgiveness, to lean more fully into the precious daughter and son that you were made to be, made in the image of God, made to be partners with God in the expanding of his kingdom, your heart knows that you were created for more, but you have this barrier. Then maybe this is the morning where you just confess Jesus is Lord, say yes to the free gift of salvation, to accept the mark of the Holy Spirit. And as you journey towards Christ, that you would journey as a daughter or son, making space for the Spirit to have more and more way in you. If that's you, just say yes. For some of us who've been around the church for a long time, we recognize that we are just a smoldering fire. We have found so many ways to cope that we're satisfied with the smoldering fire. God, I pray that you would graciously give us the strength to take off these wet logs and that we'd be filled more and more with your spirit. So we confess our sin, we confess our brokenness, we confess the ways that we've inappropriately coped and found intimacy apart from you. And we pray that you would meet us, that you would satisfy us, that you would be enough. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all the work that you've done on the cross and in resurrection in us and through us. May you get all the glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.